But John, down in the water, looks up and sees them coming, and he lets them have it. You brood of vipers, he yells. Who, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Wow. Whoa. Nobody ever talks to these guys in that way. Amen. Just lovely. As the third chapter of Matthew opens, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, you know, John shows up. Uh, Pastor Natalia and I were talking about it this morning. Every single year, no matter which year in the lectionary cycle we're in, and he makes several appearances. So here he is again. He's an outlandish figure. He's wearing a cloak of, of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And, you know, maybe we're thinking, well, that's the way people dressed back then. But the reason Matthew's telling us what John was wearing is because he was a wild, outlandish figure out there. And he, and he munches on grasshoppers, right? I think that's what locusts are. Uh, and wild, dips them in wild honey. He's so Kind of a wild guy. He shouts that the one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. The kingdom of heaven is near. And I always feel like there's a kind of cinematic quality to the appearance of, of John the Baptist way out there on the banks of the Jordan River, as if the camera kind of pulls away from the holy temple in the center of the holy city and and, and kind of begins to pan out and give us a wider view. The elaborate garb of the temple priests begins to fade into the distance as the camera pulls back and the flash of the Roman swords. As the camera rises far above and pans out across the wilderness, passing over the desolate regions where the sheep herders were the first to be told of the birth of a Savior, those shepherds left that wilderness to go see for themselves were approaching the celebration of that proclamation. But that was 30 long years ago here before the slaughter of the innocents, before those desperate to cling to religious and political power went looking to end the threat, swaddled and nursing. Now the camera moves out across that same wilderness to this scene on the banks of the Jordan with throngs of people, crowds gathered around, all focused on this one crazy prophet down in the river. People from around the world still visit this location because of this moment we have in front of us now. I was able to go there when I... Uh, was turning 30 on my 30th birthday. Pastor Natalia is getting ready to, to go visit this place. People from all over Jerusalem and all Judea respond to John's call and all the regions up and down the Jordan River. And when John calls the crowds to repent, he uses a word in the Greek which is metanoio. Uh, and we've mentioned this. It means to really to change your purpose, change your, your mind, if you will, turn in a new direction. 
And honestly, I don't know if anyone does that anymore. You know, changes their mind about things. Feels like we're so locked in. Metanoia. Change your mind. Turn around. Even though we're way out here in the desert, there are some powerful religious authorities making their way through the crowds that are, you know, tiered along the banks of the Jordan so that they can all see down to John and maybe begin to gauge how long it will be before they get their turn in the river to be baptized. They, these religious leaders look ridiculous out there in their fancy robes and their pointy hats. It's not dressed for the wilderness. They came all this way because these are people who like things the way they are. Thank you very much. Pharisees and Sadducees coming to see what this John thinks he's doing, after all. These representatives from the Holy Temple in the Holy City are the real religious professionals. And here's the thing. They're not out there to mock John for believing in the kingdom of heaven, but they are out there to mock him for thinking that he has the slightest idea how to get there. Uh-oh. The crowds of regular people are thinking when they see these religious elite, uh-oh. All those folks who would never be allowed on the temple complex because they were not born into the right family. They'll take their shot out here in the wilderness with this crazy prophet and wouldn't get near the temple. They weren't born in the right family. They didn't have enough money to purchase even a sacrificial dove. They, they were disabled or foreign or female. They turn away and hide their faces when these religious leaders make their way past. But John, down in the water, looks up and sees them coming, and he lets them have it. You brood of vipers, he yells. Who, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Wow. Whoa. Nobody ever talks to these guys in that way. Then John says their family tree is going to do absolutely nothing for them when the kingdom of heaven arrives in all of its glory. That's more shocking than what he just got done calling them, which was a bunch of snakes. Their family tree is not going to help one little bit. Heritage meant everything. Your family name, your ethnic identity, your nationality, these things define and determine your place in the world. To be one of God's chosen people. When your 23andMe or your Ancestry.com profiles says that you are in the direct line of Abraham, well, that's just as good as it gets. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Yikes. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind. Get into the river. 
The kingdom of heaven has come near. John the Baptist is an old school prophet. Sometimes they afflict the comfortable and sometimes they comfort the afflicted. In earlier times, the prophet Isaiah's vision that Nate read for us was like taking a deep breath, bringing peace in the midst of unimaginable turmoil and violence. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the one who is to come, the prophet said. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Which is a weird one when you think about it, but that is to say the lion doesn't need to hunt, you know, you. And a little nursing baby can play around on a, you know, on a picnic blanket set out on top of a snake's den. Oh, and your toddler can go ahead and try and reach down in that snake's den and, and, and catch the cobra. I'm not making it up. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the Adler's den. You brood of vipers, John yelled. You bunch of snakes. So many snakes. Good thing my wife Lori's traveling today. She's in Germany. She doesn't even like people talking about snakes. But a promise, a promise rises above the danger and the fear. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Breathe in this peace. It's for you. Well, sure, preacher, but we turn on the news and an entirely different vision of the world emerges. War, division and struggling economies, disasters, disease, hunger. And sometimes, we just lay awake at night and our mind's full of worry or stress or disappointment. Let's remember these hopeful words, this vision given from the prophet Isaiah were not spoken in a moment of inspiration when the beauty of the mountain brooks and the serenity of the quiet pasture lands just made it all so obvious to the prophet where everything was leading. This prophet was not in the midst of enjoying a dazzling sunset. Isaiah was watching the brutal swords of the vicious and overpowering Assyrian armies rip through the Holy Land leaving nothing but a trail of blood and agony. There was hardly time to breathe. But the prophet spoke. Even though the world has become apparently a living nightmare, he was saying, even though there may be no clear sign anywhere that peace will ever come, even though human greed and destructiveness are running rampant across our world, hear this, the promise of God is more powerful, more true than the brokenness of humankind. The wolf 
will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. And generations later, after Isaiah, another prophet appeared in the wilderness on the banks of the Jordan River. Wild-looking guy. To proclaim that the kingdom of heaven now was near. And they came from near and far to hear him describe it. They crowded around the banks of the Jordan to wait their turn. And one man began to work his way through those crowds. He started up on the edges and came on down through to work, work, work his way through and past the peasants and the criminals and the condemned and the hopeful, the curious, and the desperate, past the red-faced, sweaty religious authorities. The star in the east had faded. The time for magi and mangers was over. But the wailing of mourning mothers still echoed across that wilderness. His time had come. The time had come. This one would come to declare that the kingdom of heaven was not only near, it was at hand. John the Baptist said, I can only do so much for you. I can only help you get ready, but I am not worthy to untie the sandals of the one coming. The one coming would be able to take our worst fears and give us reason to hope. The one coming would be able to take our worst sin and make us clean, give us a fresh start. The one coming, making his way through the crowds down into the river, is able to hold on to us even in our dying and gently raise us to new life. The one coming would invite us, each of us, to fall into the waters and come out renamed and clean, claimed, forgiven, to head out on the most incredible adventure anyone could imagine. Follow me, he will say. Follow me because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is at hand. And it is for you. And when I start my motorcycle gang one day, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to name it Brood of Vipers. Because I, I just that phrase, I always, I, just, I always love when Matthew rolls around and I get to say that. Uh, you brood of vipers. It's, um, and then I realized that, that John is, is pointing at me when he says that, you know, bear fruit worthy of repentance. John would not have made a good Lutheran. You know, he was really into works righteousness. But uh, he was also a, a fierce advocate for those who were left out of the systems of this world, who couldn't be welcomed into the warm embrace of the temple because they were somehow ritually impure or from the wrong background or whatever the case might be out there in the wilderness. They could be a part of what was happening around John. And all he was doing, and he was very, very clear about this, was making way for the one who was coming. 
all this decorating, all this hoopla, all this tradition is, is about the same thing for each of us. In our own ways, whatever that means for us this year, making the way for the coming of the Lord. So on this day, we've been reminded uh, that the body of Christ has been given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So you go out in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.